Chapter 13 of Talks to Farmers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lauren Randall. Talks to Farmers by Charles H. Spurgeon. In the Hayfield. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle. Psalm chapter 104, verse 14. At the appointed season, all the world is busy with ingathering the grass crop, and you can scarcely ride a mile in the country without scenting the delicious fragrance of the new-mown hay, and hearing the sharpening of the mower's scythe. There is a gospel in the hayfield, and that gospel we intend to bring out as we may be enabled by the Holy Spirit. Our text conducts us at once to the spot, and we shall therefore need no preface. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle three things we shall notice. First, that grass is in itself instructive. Secondly, that grass is far more so when God is seen in it. And thirdly, that by the growth of grass for the cattle, the ways of grace may be illustrated. First, then, he causeth the grass to grow for the cattle. Here we have something which is in itself instructive. Scarcely any emblem, with the exception of water and light, is more frequently used by inspiration than the grass of the field. In the first place, the grass may be instructively looked upon as the symbol of our mortality. All flesh is grass. The whole history of man may be seen in the meadow. He springs up green and tender, subject to the frosts of infancy, which imperil his young life. He grows, he comes to maturity. He puts on beauty even as the grass is adorned with flowers. But after a while his strength departs and his beauty is wrinkled. Even as the grass withers and is followed by a fresh generation, which withers in its turn. Like ourselves, the grass ripens, but to decay. The sons of men come to maturity in due time, and then decline and wither as the green herb. Some of the grass is not left to come to ripeness at all, but the mower's scythe removes it, even as swift-footed death overtakes the careless children of Adam. In the morning it flourisheth, and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down, and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. This is very humbling, and we need frequently to be reminded of it, or we dream of immortality beneath the stars. We ought never to tread upon the grass without remembering that whereas the green sod covers our graves, it also reminds us of them, and preaches by every blade a sermon to us concerning our mortality, of which the text is, All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. In the second place, grass is frequently used in Scripture as an emblem of the wicked, David tells us from his own experience that the righteous man is apt to grow envious of the wicked when he sees the prosperity of the ungodly. We have seen them spreading themselves like green bay trees, and apparently fixed and rooted in their places, and when we have smarted under our own troubles, and felt that all the day long we were scourged and chastened every morning, 
we have been apt to say how can this be consistent with the righteous government of god we are reminded by the psalmist that in a short time we shall pass by the place of the wicked and lo he shall not be we shall diligently consider his place and lo it shall not be for he is soon cut down as the grass and withereth as the green herb the grass withereth the flower thereof fadeth away and even so shall pass away for ever the glory of those who build upon the estate of time and dig for lasting comfort in the mines of the earth as the eastern husbandman gathers up the green herb and despite its former beauty casts it into the furnace such must be your lot o vainglorious sinners thus will the judge command his angels bind them in bundles to burn where now your merriment where now your confidence where now your pride and your pomp where now your boastings and your loud-mouthed blasphemies they are silent forever for as thorns crackle under a pot but are speedily consumed and leave nothing except a handful of ashes so shall it be with the wicked as to this life the fire of god's wrath shall devour them it is more pleasing to recollect that the grass is used in scripture as a picture of the elect of god the wicked are comparable to the dragons of the wilderness but god's own people shall spring up in their place for it is written in the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes the elect are compared to grass because of their number as they shall be in the latter days and because of the rapidity of their growth you remember the passage there shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains the fruit thereof shall shake like lebanon and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth oh that the long expected day might soon come when god's people shall no longer be like a lone tuft of grass but when they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the watercourses grass and willows are two of the fastest growing things we know of so shall a nation be born in a day so shall crowds be converted at once for when the spirit of god shall be mightily at work in the midst of the church men shall fly unto christ as doves fly to their dovecots so that the astonished church shall exclaim these where had they been oh that we might live to see the age of gold the time which prophets have foretold when the company of god's people shall be innumerable as the blades of grass in the meadows and grace and truth shall flourish how like the grass are god's people for this reason that they are absolutely dependent upon the influences of heaven our fields are parched if vernal showers and gentle dews are withheld and what are our souls without the gracious visitations of the spirit sometimes through severe trials our wounded hearts are like the mown grass and then we have the promise he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth our sharp troubles have taken away our beauty and lo the lord visits us and we revive again thank god for that old saying which is a gracious doctrine as well as a true proverb each blade of grass has its own drop of dew god is pleased to give his own peculiar mercies to each one of his own servants thy blessing is upon thy people 
once again grass is comparable to the food where with the lord supplies the necessities of his chosen ones take the twenty-third psalm and you have the metaphor worked out in the sweetest form of pastoral song he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters just as the sheep has nourishment according to its nature and this nourishment is abundantly found for it by its shepherd so that it not only feeds but then lies down in the midst of the fodder satiated with plenty and perfectly content and at ease even so are the people of god when jesus christ leads them into the pastures of the covenant and opens up to them the precious truths upon which their souls shall be fed beloved have we not proved that promise true in this mountain shall the lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things a feast of wines on the lees of fat things full of marrow of wines on the lees well refined my soul has sometimes fed upon christ till i have felt as if i could receive no more and then i have laid me down in the bounty of my god to take my rest satisfied with favor and full of the goodness of the lord thus you see the grass itself is not without instruction for those who will incline their ear in the second place god is seen in the growing of the grass he is seen first as a worker he causeth the grass to grow he is seen secondly as a caretaker he causeth the grass to grow for the cattle first as a worker god is to be seen in every blade of grass if we have but eyes to discern him a blind world this which always talks about natural laws and the effects of natural causes but forgets that laws cannot operate of themselves and that natural causes so called are not causes at all unless the first cause shall set them in motion the old romans used to say god thundered god reigned we say it thunders it rains what it all these expressions are subterfuges to escape from the thought of god we commonly say how wonderful are the works of nature what is nature do you know what nature is i remember a lecturer in the street an infidel speaking about nature and he was asked by a christian man standing by whether he would tell him what nature was he never gave a reply the production of grass is not the result of natural law apart from the actual work of god mere law would be inoperative unless the great master himself sent a thrill of power through the matter which is regulated by the law unless like the steam engine which puts force into all the spinning jennies and wheels of a cotton mill god himself were the motive power to make every wheel revolve i find rest on the grass as on a royal couch now that i know that my god is there at work for his creatures having asked you to see god as a worker i want you to make use of this therefore i bid you to see god in common things he makes the grass to grow grass is a common thing you see it everywhere yet god is in it dissect it and pull it to pieces the attributes of god are illustrated in every single flower of the field and in every green leaf in like manner see god in your common matters your daily afflictions your common joys your everyday mercies do not say i must see a miracle before i see god in truth everything teems with marvel 
See God in the bread of your table and the water of your cup. It will be the happiest way of living if you can say in each providential circumstance, My Father has done all this. See God also in little things. The little things of life are the greatest troubles. A man will hear that his house is burned down more quietly than he will see an ill-cooked joint of meat upon his table when he reckoned upon its being done to a turn. It is the little stone in the shoe which makes the pilgrim limp. To see God in little things, to believe that there is as much the presence of God in a limb falling from the elm as in the avalanche which crushes a village, to believe that the guidance of every drop of spray when the wave breaks on the rock is as much under the hand of God as the steerage of the mightiest planet in its course. To see God in the little as well as in the great, all this is true wisdom. Think, too, of God working among solitary things. For grass does not merely grow where men take care of it, but up there on the side of the lone alp, where no traveler has ever passed, where only the eye of the wild bird has beheld their lonely verdure. Moss and grass display their beauty. For God's works are fair to other eyes than those of mortals. And you, solitary child of God, dwelling unknown and obscure in a remote hamlet, you are not forgotten by the love of heaven. He maketh the grass to grow all alone, and shall he not make you flourish despite your loneliness? He can bring forth your graces and educate you for the skies in solitude and neglect. The grass, you know, is a thing we tread upon. Nobody thinks of its being crushed by the foot, and yet God makes it grow. Perhaps you are oppressed and downtrodden, but let not this depress your spirit. For God executeth righteousness for all those that are oppressed. He maketh the grass to grow, and he can make your heart to flourish under all the oppressions and afflictions of life, so that you shall still be happy and holy, though all the world marches over you, still living in the immortal life which God himself bestows upon you, though hell itself sets its heels upon you. Poor and needy one, unknown, unobserved, oppressed, and downtrodden, God makes the grass to grow, and he will take care of you. But, I say, we should see in the text God also as a great caretaker. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, shows that God has a care for the beasts of the field. But it shows much more than that, namely that he would have those who work for him feed as they work. God cares for the beasts and makes grass to grow for them. Then, my soul, though sometimes thou hast said with David, so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee, yet God cares for thee. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. There you have an instance of his care for birds, and here we have his care for beasts. And though you, my hearer, may seem to yourself to be as black and defiled as a raven, and as far from anything spiritually good as the beasts, yet take comfort from this text. He gives grass to the cattle, and he will give grace to you though you think yourself to be as a beast before him. Observe, he cares for these beasts who are helpless as to caring for themselves. The cattle could not plant the grass, 
nor cause it to grow, though they can do nothing in the matter. Yet he does it all for them. He causeth the grass to grow. You who are as helpless as cattle to help yourselves, who can only stand and moan out your misery, but know not what to do. God can prevent you in his loving kindness and favor you in his tenderness. Let the bleedings of your prayer go up to heaven. Let the meanings of your desires go up to him, and help shall come to you, though you cannot help yourselves. Beasts are dumb, speechless things, yet God makes the grass grow for them. Will he hear those that cannot speak? And will he not hear those who can? Since our God views with kind consideration the cattle in the field, he will surely have compassion upon his own sons and daughters when they desire to seek his face. There is this also to be said. God not only cares for cattle, but the food which he provides for them is fit food. He causeth grass to grow for the cattle, just the sort of food which ruminants require. Even thus the Lord God provides fit sustenance for his people. Depend upon him by faith, and wait upon him in prayer, and you shall have food convenient for you. You shall find in God's mercy just that which your nature demands, suitable supplies for peculiar wants. This convenient food the Lord takes care to reserve for the cattle, for no one eats the cattle's food but the cattle. There is grass for them, and nobody else cares for it, and thus it is kept for them. Even so, God has a special food for his own people. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Though the grass be free to all who choose to eat it, yet no creature careth for it except the cattle for whom it is prepared. And though the grace of God be free to all men, yet no man careth for it except the elect of God, for whom he prepared it, and whom he prepares to receive it. There is as much reserve of the grass for the cattle as if there were walls around it. And so, though the grace of God be free, and there be no bounds set about it, yet it is as much reserved as if it were restricted. God is seen in the grass as the worker and the caretaker. Then let us see his hand in providence at all times. Let us see it, not only when we have abundance, but even when we have scant supplies. For the grass is preparing for the cattle even in the depth of winter. And you, ye sons of sorrow, in your trials and troubles are still cared for by God. He will accomplish his own divinely gracious purposes in you. Only be still and see the salvation of God. Every winter's night has a direct connection with the joyous days of mowing and reaping, and each time of grief is linked to future joy. Our third head is most interesting. God's working in the grass for the cattle gives us illustrations concerning grace. I will soliloquize and say to myself as I read the text, He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle. In this I perceive a satisfying provision for that form of creature. I am also a creature, but I am a nobler creature than the cattle. I cannot imagine for a moment that God will provide all that the cattle need and not provide for me. But naturally I feel uneasy. I cannot find in this world what I want. If I were to win all its riches, I should still be discontented. 
And when I have all that heart could wish of time's treasures, yet still my heart feels as if it were empty. There must be somewhere or other something that will satisfy me as a man with an immortal soul. God altogether satisfies the ox. He must therefore have something or other that would altogether satisfy me if I could get it. There is the grass, the cattle get it, and when they have eaten their share, they lie down and seem perfectly contented. Now all I have ever found on earth has never satisfied me so that I could lie down and be satisfied. There must, then, be something somewhere that would content me if I could get at it. Is not this good reasoning? I ask both the Christian and the unbeliever to go with me so far. But then, let us proceed another step. The cattle do get what they want. Not only is the grass provided, but they get it. Why should not I obtain what I want? I find my soul hungering and thirsting after something more than I can see with my eyes or hear with my ears. There must be something to satisfy my soul. Why should I not find it? The cattle pasture upon that which satisfies them, why should not I obtain satisfaction too? Then I began to pray, O Lord, satisfy my mouth with good things and renew my youth. While I am praying, I also meditate and think, God has provided for cattle that which is consonant to their nature. They are nothing but flesh, and flesh is grass. There is therefore grass for their flesh. I also am flesh, but I am something else beside. I am spirit, and to satisfy me I need spiritual meat. Where is it? When I turn to God's word, I find there that though the grass withereth, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And the word which Jesus speaks unto us is spirit and life. Oh, then, I say, here is spiritual food for my spiritual nature. I will rejoice therein. Oh, may God help me to know what that spiritual meat is, and enable me to lay hold upon it. For I perceive that though God provides the grass for the cattle, the cattle must eat it themselves. They are not fed if they refuse to eat. I must imitate the cattle and receive that which God provides for me. What do I find provided in Scripture? I am told that the Lord Jesus came into this world to suffer and bleed and die instead of me, and that if I trust in Him, I shall be saved. And being saved, the thoughts of His love will give solace and joy to me and be my strength. What have I to do but to feed on these truths? I do not find the cattle bringing any preparation to the pasture except hunger, but they enter it and partake of their portion. Even so must I, by an act of faith, live upon Jesus. Lord, give me grace to feed upon Christ. Make me hungry and thirsty after Him. Give me the faith by which I may be a receiver of Him, that so I may be satisfied with favor and full of the goodness of the Lord. My text, though it looked small, grows as we meditate upon it. I want to introduce you to a few more illustrations of divine grace. Preventing grace may here be seen in a symbol. Grass grew before cattle were made. We find in the first chapter of Genesis that God provided the grass before he created the cattle. And what a mercy that covenant supplies, for God's people were prepared before they were born. 
God had given his son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of his chosen before Adam fell. Long before sin came into the world, the everlasting mercy of God foresaw the ruin of sin and provided a refuge for every elect soul. What a thought it is for me that before I hunger, God has prepared the manna. Before I thirst, God has caused the rock in the wilderness to send forth crystal streams to satisfy the thirst of my soul. See what sovereign grace can do? Before the cattle come to the pasture, the grass has grown for them. And before I feel my need of divine mercy, that mercy is provided for me. Then I perceive an illustration of free grace. For when the ox comes into the field, he brings no money with him. So I, a poor, needy sinner, having nothing, come and receive Christ without money and without price. The Lord maketh the grass to grow for the cattle, and so doth he provide grace for my needy soul, though I have now no money, no virtue, no excellence of my own. And why is it, my friends, why is it that God gives the cattle the grass? The reason is because they belong to him. Here is a text to prove it. The silver and the gold are mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. God provides grass for his own cattle, and grace is provided for God's people. Of every herd of cattle in the world, God could say, they are mine. Long before the grazer puts his brand on the bullock, God has set his creating mark upon it. So before the stamp of Adam's fall was set upon our brow, the stamp of electing love was set there. In thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God also feeds cattle because he has entered into a covenant with them to do so. What? A covenant with the cattle? says somebody. Aye, truly so, for when God spake to his servant Noah, in that day when all the cattle came out of the ark, we find him saying, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you. Thus a covenant was made with the cattle, and that covenant was that seed time and harvest should not fail. Therefore the earth brings forth for them, and for them the Lord causeth the grass to grow. Does Jehovah keep his covenant with cattle? And will he not keep his covenant with his own beloved? Ah, it is because his chosen people are his covenanted ones in the person of the Lord Jesus, that he provides for them all things that they shall need in time and in eternity, and satisfies them out of the fullness of his everlasting love. Once again, God feeds the cattle, and then the cattle praise him. We find David saying in the 148th Psalm, Praise the Lord, ye beasts and all cattle. The Lord feeds his people to the end, that their glory may sing praise unto him and not be silent. While other creatures give glory to God, let the redeemed of the Lord especially say so, whom he has redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. Nor even yet is our text exhausted. Turning one moment from the cattle, I want you to notice the grass. It is said of the grass, he causeth the grass to grow. Here is a doctrinal lesson. For if grass does not grow without God's causing it to grow, how could grace arise in the human heart apart from divine operations? 
surely grace is a much more wonderful product of divine wisdom than the grass can be and if grass does not grow without a divine cause depend upon it grace does not dwell in us without a divine implantation if i have so much as one blade of grace growing within me i must trace it all to god's divine will and render to him all the glory again if god thinks it worth his while to make grass and take care of it much more will he think it to his honor to cause his grace to grow in our hearts if the great invisible spirit whose thoughts are high and lofty condescends to look after that humble thing which grows by the hedge surely he will condescend to watch over his own nature which he calls the incorruptible seed which liveth and abideth for ever mungo park in the deserts of africa was much comforted when he took up a little piece of moss and saw the wisdom and power of god in that lonely piece of verdant loveliness so when you see the fields ripe and ready for the mower your hearts should leap for joy to see how god has produced the grass caring for it all through the rigorous cold of winter and the chill months of spring until at last he sent the genial rain and sunshine and brought the fields to their best condition and so my soul though thou mayest endure many a frost of sorrow and a long winter of trial yet the lord will cause thee to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our lord and saviour jesus christ to whom be glory for ever amen end of chapter thirteen in the hayfield